want to issue a cancellation agreement, which states that you're both releasing each other from the rest of the contract. So the photographer or the vendor is no longer liable for holding that, that date. And the client is no longer responsible for the payment schedule if there's any future payments. And then you're gonna just wanna make a note too that the retainer was non-refundable or any monies that have been paid, if they're non-refundable, that that's part of the, the contract. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Brands at Book Show, where we help creative service-based businesses build their brands and find more clients. I'm your host, Davy Jones. Today's guest is Maggie Fisher, the artist lawyer of MaggieFisher.com, where you can find legal resources for your creative business. Maggie joins me for a conversation on contracts and difficult client situations. Specifically, we're covering a few tough client situations that can be avoided or dealt with using a well-crafted contract. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer, I am not a lawyer and the information shared during this episode are for informational purposes only and not for the purposes of providing legal advice. You should contact your attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular issue or problem you're facing. And while Maggie is a lawyer, she's not your lawyer. Be sure to check out the show notes at davianchrista.com for the resources we mentioned during the episode. And I want to hear from you. Let me know what kind of content you'd like to see on the Branson Book Podcast as we move forward. To leave your feedback, head on over to the Davian Krista Facebook page and send us a message. You can also DM us on Instagram at Krista. Now, on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of the Branson Book Podcast. I'm here with attorney Maggie Fisher, not just attorney Maggie Fisher, photographer Maggie Fisher as well. Um, so we're going to dive into you know all sorts of things law today, though. So that's the side of her business that we're focusing on today. Um, excited to have you here, Maggie, because I know that there's a lot of questions, uh, legal questions in particular, around what's going on with COVID-19 and the pandemic and the impact that that has had on the events industry in particular. So uh, welcome and thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we should just dive right in because I know we have quite a bit to chat about, but I don't want to skip over you know, your story as an entrepreneur and hear a little bit about your background. And I think what's maybe so convenient about the, especially your attorney's hat, is that you're speaking also from the perspective of a photographer and somebody who's in the events industry. And so really understands this industry apart from what's going on with the, you know, the pandemic and stuff like that. So tell us a little bit about your background and, you know, how you got started. Sure. Thank you. So I started photography when I was in high school, just like a lot of photographers out there. It was very, it was a natural progression. It was something that I loved, but it was never, you know, the end goal for me. I always planned on going to law school. I had done mock trial in high school and then political science in college. 
So I always knew that, you know, law was going to be my path. But at the same time, it was like I was living two parallel lives. I just both sides kind of took off at the same time. So, you know, I was going through college and law school and I was consistently shooting 25, 30 weddings a year while, you know, throughout law school, I'm studying, I studying for finals and taking time off to, to travel and shoot weddings during study breaks. It was just this very weird dynamic where, um, you know, I had my feet in both worlds and I was able to naturally progress with both of them for a long time. But it came to a point about a year ago where I had to make a decision what road I was going to go down. I had had an opportunity to go to a large law firm and it was the dream law firm. It was like the dream opportunity. I was super excited to have an offer from this firm but they wanted to know from me that if there was going to be a big case on that they needed help with on a weekend and I had a wedding that I had to shoot, they wanted to know if you know I would have an associate cover it. And we know in the wedding world, you can't just pass off a wedding to an associate. So I had to make a decision to go full time with my business. And that was about a year ago. And from there, I just, I passed the bar. I was a full time uh, bard attorney at the time. So I decided to form the artist lawyer and just kind of marry my two crafts together. Yeah, for sure. And just so for so, so people know kind of where to find both of these things, you have two separate websites for these two different sides of your business. And I, are they two different businesses? Yeah, so I have them separated out right now, just because I don't think my wedding clients want to see the legal stuff that I'm doing. Sure, sure. So where can people find your wedding photography business? Where can people find the, you know, the stuff you're doing with law and, and contracts? Yeah. So wedding website and wedding company is Magdalena Studios. And you can find all of the contract templates and legal resources on the artistlawyer.com. Yeah, awesome. And I think that's a good segue into talking about some of these contracts in general. And I imagine, you know, you passing the bar, it it comes at the perfect time because now people in the events industry in particular face with all sorts of different issues. And I know that it's been a headache for a lot of people. You know, I mean, everybody's had to reschedule probably at least one event in 2020, if not multiple events. And there's all sorts of things that come with that because it's not, you know, as we found out, I think in the beginning, there was just like this, well, okay, we'll reschedule for the fall and it'll be fine. But, you know, we have these phased recovery programs in each state. And, you know, I know some states already allowing weddings, let's say under 300 people. I think I saw that in Ohio. I think I saw one of the Northeastern states say under 250, but a lot of states haven't moved in that direction yet. And so now the question becomes, okay, I've rescheduled. I might be able to have my wedding, but now I won't be able to have the same amount of people at my wedding. And so, you know, clients might be like, Hey, I'm only going to be able to have a 10 person wedding. Can we renegotiate the contract? You know, there's just a lot of questions around, you know, how to navigate while protecting our businesses and then also serving our clients well. So I guess, you know, we should start at the beginning, maybe with rescheduling. Before we jump in there, I I just want to emphasize that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I am not uh, an attorney. Uh, Maggie is an attorney, not your attorney. So um, I think that's just good to mention uh, before we get- Perfectly said. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we before we get into discussing this stuff, and if you have specific questions, I would encourage you to reach out to to Maggie 
or to reach out to your attorney to, to clarify anything that you might hear during this episode. But let's start with rescheduling. What do people need to have in place? What are the considerations around rescheduling when it comes to somebody's contract? So you're going to want to look at your contract specifically with the client that wants to reschedule. Um, A lot of people are updating their contracts now post-COVID and instituting rescheduling fees or different policies around rescheduling. But when it comes to rescheduling for each individual client, you're going to want to go by what your current contract says. A lot of contracts pre-COVID did not have rescheduling policies. I've seen a lot of contracts that only really talk about cancellation. There's no mention of rescheduling fees. So it becomes a tricky scenario when vendors start imposing fees for rescheduling or, you know, making up these different rules for for their clients when it's not in in their contract. Um, So you're going to want to really take a look at what your your current contracts state for your for each individual client. Sure. So if somebody wants to reschedule or we've come to a point where they have to reschedule for whatever reason, there's not a rescheduling clause in their contract, both the client and the uh, the vendor agree on a given date, what needs to happen to, let's say, move that date or to reschedule the event? Yeah. So once you find, um, I feel like the trickiest part is finding a mutually available date with the client and how I've seen it work best is if the client checks in with their venue um, and comes back with the dates and then the vendors can all kind of come together and figure out which date works best for everybody all together. Usually the client will navigate that and, you know, check in with each vendor and um, pinpoint what date will work. Once that mutually available date is decided on, you're going to want to either issue a new contract or amend that previous contract to the new date. What I found is best is if you have updated your terms and conditions, which is a regular business practice, it's totally normal to update your terms and conditions and reissue that to the client if they're resigning. You're going to want to send them your new and updated contract, which is going to hopefully have cancellation and rescheduling policies and everything a little bit more clear for both the client's best interest and for the vendors, because you're not going to want any ambiguity in there if they have to reschedule for a second or third time, like we're now seeing. So you, you can issue them that new contract and then just issue a credit for any amount that have previously been paid. Okay, awesome. And as far as, and I, th- and I like what you said there is it, it's not unusual for companies to revisit their terms and conditions. I'm sure everybody for every, you know, SaaS product that they're signed up for every year gets some sort of notification that, that terms and conditions have been updated. So I think sometimes we overthink like, oh, we're going to send a new contract over to people and it's a really going to, you know, weird out our client. But I think that communicating with them on the front end about that, it's probably more normal and less of an issue that than than we anticipate. Definitely. You know, one one question along the lines of rescheduling is whether if you agree on a new date but you're not shooting it any longer, maybe one of your associates is now shooting it. So you actually have a change of photographer. Do you go through those same steps where you're issuing a new contract, you're just stating that it's a different photographer from your team that's going to be shooting the wedding? Yeah. So you're almost like taking, when you're renegotiating with the the client, you're almost taking what they've paid as a credit and 
depending on what the scope of the new project is, if there's a different photographer, a different date, a different venue, even like a different collection. Like I've had clients upgrade or renegotiate, you know, trying to split up their package across multiple dates. You're going to want to just issue that entirely new contract to them. And then they can agree to, you know, that new photographer, the scope of the project, and you're just taking what they've previously paid um, and issuing that as a credit. And you can kind of, normally you would have, you know, your payment schedule breakdown and what the final payment is. But underneath of that, you can put amount of credit that's being transferred from the old contract, the balance that's due. And it's pretty standard in contracts at the end that it will say this is the final agreement. It supersedes and voids any previous agreements. But you can just reemphasize that at the top. Um, I like to add a little note up at the top that says this wedding has been rescheduled. The previous date is released. And it just kind of reiterates that again. Okay, awesome. What about with cancellations? Because I'm sure there's a number of uh, situations out there where you know everybody's trying to reschedule. I, I'm sure a lot of people earlier in the year are just trying to get dates later in the year. So they're, they're competing with people who are already getting ma- married later in the year. So it's probably on some level difficult to ma- match up schedules right now. What steps does somebody need to take in order to cancel a contract? So cancellation is usually where things get a little bit trickier because Clients normally don't see that the businesses have held these dates for them and have this expectation of business and have maybe made investments or preparations for this this business that, you know, they're expecting to have. So if a client decides, as some clients have, that, you know, they don't want to keep rescheduling, they just want to cancel, go in a different direction, or maybe not have the wedding altogether, um, you're going to want to issue a cancellation agreement which states that you're both releasing each other from the rest of the contract. So the photographer or the vendor is no longer liable for holding that, that date. And the client is no longer responsible for the payment schedule if there's any future payments. And then you're going to just want to make a note too that the retainer was non-refundable or any monies that have been paid if they're non-refundable, that that's part of the, the contract. Awesome. And so I I assume that's probably a pretty important aspect of a cancellation agreement is having the what what's happened to the the payment that's currently been made. Right. So that's something that you would definitely want in that cancellation uh, agreement. And maybe we can talk uh, through maybe a few different scenarios when it comes to cancellation. I think that one of the I guess this unprecedented situation that we're facing, right? It's not as if brides uh, and grooms that it's not as if couples are saying, Oh, we're just arbitrarily, we're going to switch dates. You know, we don't like March 30th anymore. We want to reschedule for, you know, September 30th. So how does that work when it comes to things like deposits and retainers Are vendors in general? And again, I know that people need to, to check with their specific States and laws and, and attorneys, but in general, Are vendors, I guess, is it their right to keep monies paid, especially if that's how it's currently written in their contract or, you know, because of, you know, the act of God clause, do they really need to consider returning that money if they can't find a new date? Yeah. So again, going to come down to the specific contract that the client and the vendor have formed together. I've seen all kinds of contracts, some that, you know, it would warrant a refund in certain circumstances. It's going to come down to if 
the client has actually been forced to move their date or if they're moving it preemptively, um, if they're moving a March 2021 date right now, they can't really cite to an act of God um, or anything that's forcing them to move their date. Um, So you're really just, you're going to want to look at that individual contract with an attorney, have somebody else give an opinion of how it reads and how it will be interpreted. But if you have a really strong contract that states you have a non-refundable retainer, even in an act of God scenario, and if the vendor is attempting to cure performance of the contract, so they're offering availability, they're offering solutions. Um, if there's not a date that works, they're offering a credit for another type of session. Um, if they're trying to work with the client, there's a good reason there for the vendor to be able to keep that retainer at that point. Um, if the client's been forced to move their date. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it's such a uh, tricky situation. And this is a good segue into talking about refund requests and, and what to do with refund requests. Because on one level, there is the the law, uh, there is what was agreed to in the contract. On another level, though, there's sort of, uh, there's a, a reputation to keep in mind. And, you know, a certain circumstances, probably it, where the best thing to do in, in maybe certain situations is to give the person a refund for, you know, whatever reason that might be. So it's, I think, a tricky line to walk between okay, how much do I want to enforce my contract to the letter of the law, you know, so that I'm not walked all over? Um, and at the same time, what should I do long-term or what decisions should I make that are going to be long-term best for my business, keep my reputation intact uh, as well, do the right thing for my client? Do you have any advice when it comes to just managing refund requests in general, but maybe from a business owner perspective, but then also from a legal perspective as well? Yeah, this is where it gets really sticky and icky, I feel like, with clients. Because especially right now, businesses, it puts a business in a really difficult situation because businesses don't have their usual income coming in. And some businesses might not be able to offer a refund right now. So if it comes to that with a client, you're going to want to try to meet in the middle somewhere so the client's happy. If your contract allows you to keep that retainer or those monies that have been paid, you're going to want to try to cite to the contract and say, you know, the payment's non-refundable, but we can do X, Y, and Z. I have seen a lot of situations where clients are threatening legal action. And even though the, the contract would hold up if you know, the vendor um, wanted to keep that retainer, it's not really something that any vendor wants to deal with. Like you don't want to have to go to court. You don't want a client to be that angry with you to continue to pursue this for months and months. So if there's any way to meet that client in the middle, maybe a partial refund, uh, maybe some sort of credit, uh, maybe some sort of justification for, you know, letting them know why you have to keep that retainer, you're going to want to try to meet them in the middle and try to come up with some sort of solution that works for everybody. Sure. And and speaking of credits, because I think um, one thing I've heard of is, okay, we can't find a new date. I'm going to keep your retainer. Um, but you can use this credit towards another type of session with me. So is that something that would be outlined in the cancellation agreement? Yeah. So if you come up to that with that kind of resolution with the client, then you could certainly put that in the cancellation agreement 
or the, you know, rescheduling agreement that there is this credit that has been issued and you're going to want to make sure there's parameters around that. So when can they use that? Are they going to check with you for availability? How far in advance do they have to let you know? Um, rather than just saying like, oh, hey, I want to do my session next week. I'm going to be in town. Um, so you're going to want to just make sure all of that's outlined. Does it expire at any point in time? All those kinds of things. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's another really good point just as far as like when that credit can be used. I know that gift cards has been, been sort of a popular offering throughout this time, you know, just to try to keep some revenue flowing in and give people an opportunity to book an open date, uh, so to speak for a session in the future. But, you know, interestingly, uh, this past week, even I saw an acquaintance of mine post and she, her business is no longer active and it's it had nothing to do with the pandemic it, it's been closed down for some time now but somebody who she had given a gift card to or sold a gift card to wanted to you know cash in that gift card after eight years right and so oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, having something and yeah it's a ridiculous request right like um, i'm pretty sure if i had a target gift card or something like that i wouldn't be able to use it after eight years but having something in writing about you know hey this is the time frame that this has to be used i think is certainly beneficial and it's, you know, it's difficult thinking through all these different situations that might arise. I mean, again, if you had asked a hundred people, you know, whether they thought we were going to be dealing with a pandemic in 2020, that was going to completely shut down the events industry in the world, right? My guess is that none of them would have said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's likely. So, or been really even on anybody's radar. All right. Maybe. So <laughs> refund requests. You know, two things that I would love to talk about uh, because we've we've brought it up a little bit as we've chatted is re renegotiating the contract and how you should go about doing that. And you know, I think that this ties back into even the cancellation clause because I I could potentially see scenarios where uh, the photographer is like, hey, you know, I can't work on the date that you want to get married on now, and the client just not like almost not taking no for an answer, you know, uh, and not being able to get the client to sign the cancellation agreement, especially if maybe you're keeping a retainer and the client doesn't feel that that's fair. So where do you go from there? What tips do you have from re uh, for renegotiating contracts with, uh, with clients, especially around maybe sticky situations? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely been a lot of this lately and it's hard for everyone. The client, it's hard for the clients to understand where the vendor is coming from. It's, you know, the vendors lose sleep over, you know, we're used to making our clients happy. We don't want to be fighting with them. And then, you know, to have, have these requests and to be met with like aggression and disappointment, it's, it's hard on everyone involved. So I think just my first piece of advice usually to everyone is to take a breather, take a step back. It does not you do not need to come up with a resolution immediately. Like you, when you get that email in, you don't need to respond right away. I think it's really good to take a step back, go for a walk, sleep on it, even for a couple of days. Like you don't have to respond right away um, unless, you know, the wedding is that weekend and there is some urgency to it. Um, but sometimes that cooling off period will help both parties involved and you can come back to it with a level head before responding. I think it's good to utilize your resources so if that client is canceling with you, but maybe you're in contact with other vendors who are scheduled for their wedding date, or you frequently work at that venue, maybe reaching out to some of those other vendors and seeing what they're doing. I have dealt with a couple situations recently where the client was canceling with the photographer 
actually because they wanted to go with another kind of style and they hadn't canceled any other vendor or venue. So that's kind of a different situation. That's a change of heart. The client's not canceling because of COVID or, you know, any other reason they they're actually going with another type of vendor. So just kind of, you know, trying to use, utilize your resources, maybe seeing what other resolutions the other vendors have come to or touching base with your community and seeing how they've responded to these kinds of requests and just talking through it with people that you trust and feel comfortable with can, I don't, that can help work through some of, some of those issues at first. And then when you do talk to that client, sometimes emails and contracts can come off really harshly. So I always advise that you're going to want to formulate you know, what your boundaries are before you get on a phone call. Um, because a lot of us are people pleasers. We're going to cave on the phone. We're going to want to say what the client wants to hear, or we're going to be put in kind of an awkward position. But if you can maybe list and think through what your boundaries are before getting on a phone call or a video call with the client. So at that point, once you come up with your boundaries and you know what you want to stick to, maybe you want to shoot for no refund or a partial refund. And you know, you don't want to go any lower than like, say a thousand dollar refund, um, kind of come up with that in your head or write down like what best case scenario would be, what worst case scenario would be, where you'd be willing to compromise and then get on a call with them and let them talk. Sometimes clients just want to be heard. They want, want to know that, you know, they want you to know that this is a difficult time for them. Maybe something more difficult is going on and they just want to be heard. And maybe you have to explain why for your business, you have this policy, you know, where you might have already invested that money, for example, insurance, or you might have already paid taxes, or you might have done a venue walkthrough, or if you're a florist, you might have already put in an order for those flowers and the ribbons. So if you can get on the phone with them or a video call and just have more of like a human connection with them and try to work through it, sometimes that can be really helpful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I always find that calls are, especially if you can get on them before things escalate, a great way to keep things from escalating, right? I think that it's, you know, over maybe less personal forms of communication, like email, that things can be more misconstrued. I, I mean, I think email is great because you always want some sort of written record, especially I think as you decide things with clients. So, you know, I don't know how you feel about, maybe it's a little over the top, but if I were to have a, a discussion like that with a client, I, I would send an email afterwards, just kind of recapping what uh, what we chatted about just so that we can always go back to, to that written record. But I do think getting on a phone call, especially letting people talk, you know, sometimes it's, it's not, it's not even about the issue that, that you're, that you think you're arguing about. It's something else. And like you said, they just want to be heard. So I think that's great advice, you know, just from a client uh, experience perspective as well. So we've covered a lot of the COVID-19 pandemic related clauses. I think those are the things that are top of mind for everybody right now. Are, is there anything else that you think is just good practice to have in a contract? Maybe it's something that you frequently feel like people have to come back to. So for instance, like I guess what is one of the most common non-pandemic related contract clauses that people, you know, find themselves having to come back to? Yeah, I think a lot of photographers have to come back to editing, editing requests, 
maybe you don't include Photoshop um, or, you know, maybe you have a style provision in there that, that defines, you know, what your style is. Some, some photographers might get requests and videographers as well to come back and, and re-edit something. And maybe you have a certain number of re-edits that you'll do. And the same kind of thing comes, comes out with albums as well. So I feel like I hear a lot of photographers sometimes have to say to the contract and say, you know, well, you had six months to get back to us about your album design and now it's expired. So, you know, there might be some sort of fee for, you know, you, if you have this album credit, photographers usually don't want to have that outstanding for years and years and cost might increase. So usually those sort of like niche little things with photographers travel and reimbursement and travel warranty is something that's really important. Um, if you find yourself traveling often, you're going to want to make sure that, you know, if you don't get travel insurance, you're going to want to make sure that's in your contract um, and that you have some sort of warranty about travel delays. You know, are you using a flat rate travel fee or is there going to be something in there about all sorts of reimbursements? Like if you have to check multiple bags, like if you're a florist and you have tons of products that you're bringing to a destination wedding, will the client be billed for all of those individual costs or are you offering a flat rate travel fee? Those are just some niche little things with, <laughs> with the wedding industry that I've, I've found are important in contracts. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as far as people getting their contracts in order, what recommendations do you have for them doing so? I mean, you can find all sorts of free contracts online. I mean, is that something you would recommend doing? You know, also recognizing that especially as people get started, they don't have maybe or don't feel like they have a ton of money to invest in a contract being developed by a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely going to want to start with a contract template. Um, if you go to a standard local attorney, chances are it's going to cost thousands of dollars to have them custom draft you a contract. And if they don't have experience in the wedding industry or in the creative world, they might not really understand all the protections that that you need. So I would definitely recommend going to some sort of lawyer creative for your contract templates. Um, there's tons of places to get them online. I've seen photographers sell them and like marketplaces like Etsy. Um, but I would definitely recommend going for a contract that has been drafted by an attorney and is being sold by an attorney because they're going to be held ethically to a different standard. They're going to want to make sure everything's up to date and everything is pretty crystal clear. I've seen a lot of contracts lately that have been bought from marketplaces and they're just, they're just a little, a little bit more shaky than the ones that you'll probably find from those attorneys online. Yeah, for sure. And I'll say, uh, the money that you will save, you know, I mean, it's going to be an investment up front, even a couple hundred dollars for a contract template. Yes, that that's an investment. I'm not saying that that those that it's not hard spending that money. At the same time, the money that you're going to save, the peace of mind that you're going to have, potentially uh, dodging a lawsuit or heading off a lawsuit uh, of some sort down the road, I think makes it well worth it. I think that and accounting. You know, like if you're starting a new business, especially, or if you've been running a business for a while and you've just kind of been using something that's been pieced together. If you've been doing your own books, you know, like to me trust the people who are trained to do these things, you know, because they're going to do it right. And if something goes wrong, then at least you have somebody to go back to and say, okay, I need to 
you know, I need to better understand, you know, how to, how to deal with this when this, when this clause has been, you know, breached or, or whatever or this situation arises or, you know, the IRS comes knocking and, and they want, you know, XYZ or they're saying XYZ, you know? So I'm a big believer that those two things should be in place and just the peace of mind, not having to think about those things then going forward, I, you know, priceless to me, priceless to me. Yeah, definitely. And I, I fully believe that, you know, a well-drafted contract will foster a healthy client relationship as well. So it's not just for protecting the business, but I like for our contracts to read almost as like an FAQ or manual and you, the client, if they're, if they do read it, or if they just kind of have that document set aside, it's very thorough for them to just know, you know, what to expect, you know, what procedures to take will take place if they do have anything come up, you know, there's all kinds of details in there that, that will help them and guide them um, in preparing for their wedding day as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's probably the most important thing for sure. And I love that, you know, that's what you put kind of at the, the outset of a contract is just, you know, laying out expectations clearly for, for clients to make sure that everybody's on the, on the same page. And, you know, really at the, at the end of the day, I guess that's, that's what it's about. Right. So as we wrap up here, can you remind people where they can go and get a contract from you? Yeah. If you head to our website, The Artist Lawyer, you can find all of our contract templates. We have master contract templates for all types of wedding vendors. We have rescheduling and cancellation agreements and a COVID liability waiver. If you're starting to get back into shooting events um, and you're a little bit nervous about it, that liability waiver is great right now. And then I also offer consultations and custom contracts and some startup packages as well if you're starting your business. And it's been really fun during quarantine. I've worked with uh, a kombucha brewer and a wall muralist, all kinds of different artists and creatives who are launching their businesses or just, you know, need help with LLCs and trademarks and all that fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's awesome that you that you provide consultations as well cuz one thing that we do probably on a, a yearly or or semi-yearly basis is have uh the attorney we work with go back and review kind of the stuff that we that we have using and just kind of bringing up any sort of situations that may have arisen in the last year or so where we're like, hey, should we have a clause or does does one of the clauses in our contract currently cover something like this? So definitely something that's that might be worth doing if you feel relatively comfortable uh, with your contract, but just think it needs maybe a little bit of attention. Maggie, I really appreciate you taking the time, especially in this season, to share your expertise and Maggie has mentioned where you can find uh, her contract templates and her resources. I will also make sure to post those in the show notes as well. So that if you're driving, if you're working out right now and you need, you remember where to find those things, you can just go to the show notes. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Brands That Book Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review in iTunes. For show notes and other resources, head on over to deviancrista.com.